0: Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man that says, for all of you who says talk is cheap, you've never called a 1-900 number at $5.99 per minute. It's Dale. (laughs)
1: That's right, man. That'll blow your phone bill up in a minute. (laughs) You got a lot of splaining to do to get that $400 phone bill. (laughs) That's
0: exactly right, man. Who is who is Sasha. I oh, don't know, but she talks real nice. Yeah. I think she's just being nice, though. Yeah. What's uh, go- I think she likes me. <laughs> What's going on, dude? What's up, man? How are you, man? Oh, doing well. Doing well. I'm glad to be recording. We're running a little behind recording. We've had we've had life get in the way, bud. It'll be there. That's it. Well, I guess it's better not being there. That's it. I rather. <laughs> I like being alive. Yeah, that's a good thing. You got any shout-outs for us? Any kind of... Thing to talk about
1: eh, a little bit i would just give a shout out to all the crack house family who went over to the merch page and uh and took advantage of a big discount they had this weekend and bought up some stuff we really appreciate you yeah, guys there was some, buying some buying sales some this stuff. week thanks thanks and uh a shout out to to you and i donnie how about a shout out to us
0: man i appreciate you bud <laughs> all right
1: yeah you too bro yep it's, it's not this thing down.
0: and go on to the website and click that gas money button and leave us a tip yeah show us how much you appreciate us and go on to iTunes. Give us a five star rating. Give us a review, all you iPodcast listeners. And if you don't have, if you don't use iTunes, go over to Facebook and give us a Facebook recommendation. That's right. Yeah, uh, it helps.
1: All that good stuff. And then run over to YouTube and click on subscribe.
0: Yep, we appreciate it, guys. We really do. Tell your mom and them. Yep, and um, check our social media: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Dale's been working on Twitter here lately. So, You've been trying. Yeah. I'm, he, a,
1: little, I'm a little behind. But. You do good.
0: All right, <laughs> bud. We're going to get into our episode, man. <clears throat>
1: All right, man. Time to get a little serious. Yeah.
0: Talk good. some true crime. All righty. This, uh, this week, our case we're talking about is Rodney Alcala, and he is the dating game killer.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's go ahead and say it now. This is another one with a corny name, kind of like the Taco Bell guy, but there's nothing corny about about how he is. He's a pretty sadistic
0: guy. He is. And we're going to get into talking about Rodney Alcala. His full name is Rodrigo Jacques Alcala and But he goes by Rodney James Alcala. And he was born on August 23rd, 1943. In San Antonio. San Antonio, Texas. Excuse me. And he had an older brother, Raul, an older sister, Marie Therese. He had a younger sister, Marie Christine. So I think Rodney was sort of the middle child of all that. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Now, Dale, they were living in San Antonio, Texas.
1: Yeah, they all lived together in a house, including uh, Rodney's grandmother lived there. Yeah. And when uh, she became ill. And when she became ill, she told them that she'd like to spend her last years back in Mexico. So that's when they... Uh, they moved back when, to Mexico. Yeah, they took the whole family moved back to Mexico for her wishes. hmm
0: And they were there, I think, about three years.
1: Yep, about three years. And then... uh she passed away. She passed away, and then his father left the family and came back to the United States.
0: He pretty much abandoned them, didn't he? Yeah, he just rolled. Yeah, that was it. That was it for him.
1: Yeah. Soon after this, they didn't have much ties there in Mexico either, so they decided to just uh, pack up, and then they moved to L.A. And so they moved out to Los Angeles. Yeah, Rodney's Angeles. mom
0: moved them all back to Los Angeles. Right. Yeah, Deal. after they moved back to California, Rodney finished the eighth grade, and uh, he attended a high school at a private uh, Catholic school called Cantwell Sacred, Mar- Sacred Heart of Mary. Right. And during his last semester there in high school, he felt like he had had enough of his religious education.
1: Yeah, because he had been in Catholic school since elementary school, even before they had moved to Mexico. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was in St. Joseph Catholic Elementary and then mm-hmm. uh, moved on to Mount Sacred Heart. And even in Mexico, he also had him in a Catholic school, and so he would had, had enough of that. So he just he wanted to attend a public school. He did. Yeah. So she granted his wish and let him go to a public school. That's right. And then he graduated in 1960 from uh, Montebello High School
0: in California. Now, in 1961, at the age of 17, Rodney joined the United States Army. And he was wanting to be a paratrooper. Yeah. And he was located here in North Carolina at Fort Bragg. Man, we can't get away from that. No, we got him here in North Carolina. Yep. But uh, he ended up being, instead of a paratrooper, he ended up being a clerk. That's close. Missed it by uh, that much. Yeah. Uh, so, paratrooper, clerk, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, they're in the same it, it was branch jump. of service there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. They uh, gave him an IQ test, and he scored, like, I think it was 140. Yeah, it was, it was way up so, there. Right near genius level. Very, very high. So, he's a pretty smart guy. I guess just everything kind of imploded on him when he was a clerk.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, while he was in the Army, um, his father unexpectedly passed away in a— to Lair County, California, which the whole family attended the funeral. So I guess they kept tabs on each other, even though he split and left them abandoned.
0: I guess they did.
1: And then maybe this had something to do with uh, his mental breakdown that would come. Because right after this, well, the next year, this was that was in uh, January of 62 when his dad passed away. And in 63, he unexpectedly showed up at his mother's door. She was making dinner and, and heard somebody come in the door and turned around and expecting it to be her daughter, and it was him. And he had hitchhiked all the way from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, nearly 3,000 miles I went mm-hmm. to his mother's house, and he had went AWOL, which is uh, absent without leave, yeah. which is a no-no if you're in the Army.
0: He was medically discharged from the U.S. Army after having a nervous breakdown, and he was diagnosed with an antisocial personality disorder and a narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, malignant narcissism psychopathy and even sexual sadism
1: yeah a whole lot of stuff he
0: had a lot of a lot of people living in his brain there
1: right yeah when he showed up at his mother's house you know she was kind of freaked out and said you need to turn yourself in so he went to a local recruiter and turned himself in and uh, that's when they had him diagnosed with all that list of stuff <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh, actually when he was in the hospital they let him go home when he began to feel more like himself
0: oh well wasn't well, that nice <laughs> yeah yeah. Now, we're going to jump just a little bit ahead, uh, about four years, to September September the 25th, 1968. Now, Dale, this was—
1: Rodney's 25 at this point.
0: Yeah, and this is Rodney's first known crime. And Dale, an eyewitness in Los Angeles called the police after watching him lure an eight-year-old girl— into his car.
1: Yeah, he said that uh, he was sitting on the freeway, and uh, you know it was just stop and go traffic. I was I think it was on. Actually, it was on uh, Hollywood Boulevard.
0: It was on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: it was on Hollywood Boulevard, and he was watching this car, and he seen the little girl. She was like just walking up the sidewalk and carrying her books, and uh, she was going to school. And he could notice that the car pulled up, and he looked, and it didn't have any license plates on it, mm-hmm. which was weird. And then, like, it stopped, and you could see the little girl. She'd kind of shake her head and walk off, and the guy, like, the guy saying something to her. And then he kept just creeping up right beside her, and finally she'd come over to the window, and he said something to her, and she got in the car. And later we'd find out that uh, she had told him she couldn't talk to strangers, and she wasn't talking to him, and that's when he used his – his charm to tell him that oh don't you know don't you remember me i know your parents they said it's okay so and plus i have a really cool photo i want to show you your parents right so let's go back to my place and i'll show you that photo yeah so she got in the car
0: yeah and she went back to his apartment
1: and luckily the guy that you were talking about followed him yes because he knew something was up with this it just didn't look right and he just had that feeling that
0: and he he called the police yeah
1: he followed him all the way to the apartment watched him get out of the car and said when uh When uh, they got out of the car, she kind of was kind of stutter-stepping and looking around like she didn't recognize where they were. And he Mm -hmm. knew something was wrong. And as soon as they walked into an apartment, he called the police. Yeah. So I'm assuming he had pay phone or something because then there wasn't no cell phone. Yep.
0: And just shortly after the police arrived, they knocked on the door. Yep. And Rodney came to the door saying that he just got out of the shower.
1: Yeah, said so he looked through the blinds and said he appeared to not have no clothes on. And yeah, that's the way it looked. He, yeah, said so he just got out of the shower.
0: He just got out of the shower and give him about 10 seconds to get dressed.
1: He said, well, give me a few minutes. And the police officer said, I'll give you 10 seconds. Yeah. Open this door. I need to talk to you.
0: And Rodney shut the door, and it was just a, a couple seconds later. He, he kicked the door. In. He kicked it in. And when the police officer went in, he saw... A little girl's shoes laying there. Yep.
1: And there was a trail of blood from the living room into yeah. the kitchen.
0: And it was in the kitchen there was a little girl laying there in a pool of blood. Yeah. He said it looked like more blood than could possibly be in her body. Right.
1: And she had a she had been hit in the head and had a metal bar laying across the throat.
0: There was a ten pound metal bar. Yeah. And this little girl's name was Tylie Shapiro. Yep. And no sign of Rodney Alcala.
1: Well, I think she probably just went straight to her to see if he could do anything. Yeah. But it appeared like she was dead, and uh, and I guess during all the commotion, Rodney had bolted out the back door.
0: And just when he was starting to take off after Rodney, he heard that little girl. Yep, gurgling, for gurgling, gasping for air. So she wasn't dead. Right. Well, when he first went
1: over, he grabbed a towel and removed the bar just to not mess up any prints or anything, but just in case they took it off her neck. Yeah. Even though he did, he wasn't sure if she was dead or not, he assumed that she probably was with the amount of blood he saw. Mm-hmm. And then that's what he heard, because she was fighting for breath, and then he went back to her to try to get her stable while help helped come.
0: Yeah. That was the that was the main thing. That was the right thing to do anyway. Yeah. Now, this little girl survived. She did. Yeah. And we'll talk about her a little bit later on.
1: Yeah, a couple times.
0: Yeah. But now.
1: So uh, props to the guy who uh, seen that and knew something was wrong. Exactly. Because you don't get a whole lot of that, that little girl, good news stories in these in these uh, podcasts. That little girl
0: would be dead <laughs> if it hadn't dead. been for that good Samaritan. Now, Rodney was gone. He had escaped out the back door. Yep. Nowhere to be found. Now, inside of his apartment, you know, they searched it. And they found a lot of his belongings. Oh they, yeah,
1: because he just ran. He just took off, left yeah. left everything.
0: They found his uh UCLA college ID.
1: Yep, so they had his name and his picture.
0: Yeah. They knew everything about him. Right. And but Rodney <laughs> Except for where he was. <laughs> yeah. But Rodney had skipped town. He went to New York.
1: Yeah, well, they went to uh to UCLA to look for him, they even talked to some of his professors, and they all swore that they was definitely had the wrong guy. So he was a nice guy. Nice. This guy couldn't hurt a fly. Either. Exactly. You've got the wrong guy. There's some kind of mistake here. This can't be him.
0: Just friendly, nice guy. Yep. But Rodney had left town. He went to New York. Right. And he changed his name.
1: Yep. He showed up as. I guess in
0: 1968, you could just change your name and become somebody else. You well,
1: just walk in and say, I'm so and so, and that's it. Yeah. Nothing, I guess, was. That's his pre computers, you know, and nothing's connected.
0: Yeah. But Rodney got accepted into New York School of Arts undergraduate program under the alias of John Berger. Berger. Yeah, B-E-R-G-E-R.
1: Mr. Berger.
0: Yeah. And he was studying under film director and screenwriter Roman Polanski.
1: Yeah, that's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's kind of
0: (laughs) wild. Yeah, because, you know... Those of you who don't know, don't know Roman Polanski, I mean, he was he directed the movie Rosemary's Baby, Yep. and his wife was Sharon Tate.
1: Yep, who was killed by the Manson family. Yeah, you know, which would be like a year after this. Yeah, so <clears throat> so a serial well, I guess I was going to say a serial killer kid took her out, but I guess you really can't classify.
0: <laughs> yeah, Manson never killed anybody,
1: <laughs> right? Anyway, so yeah, it's kind of odd that uh, that would happen to that would somebody would kill him, but anyway, this guy's working under him.
0: Yeah, they say there's a lot of people apply to this New York School of Fine Arts. Yeah, I don't
1: think it's easy to get into, but, you know, smooth talker gear.
0: And you got 300 to get in, <clears throat> and they that's the cream of the crop.
1: Well, you know, with his super high IQ and smooth ways,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a brand new name.
0: Yep, brand new name. <laughs> now, Dale, while he was at the New York University School of Arts, he also got hired as a arts and drama counselor at a summer camp for girls yeah in, in new george, hampshire yeah george mills new hampshire uh still under this alias john berger right
1: and i think it was all girls deal it
0: was, it was it was all girls now he worked there for about three years
1: yeah three summers he worked there yeah it was a counselor under under undercover
0: and it was just one day these two girls they went there to the local post office Yep. Yeah. It came
1: up a huge rainstorm. Yeah. And it was pouring rain, so they just ducked in there and figured it would wait out the rain. And So they were walking around kind of like it was a museum looking at all the stuff in the old post office. And they
0: saw the most wanted photos. Right. And they had the top ten most wanted photos there. And Rodney was on there. Yep. But they said, that looks just like our counselor.
1: Right. So they were going through them, looking at them, and they were this guy and that guy, and, you know, just making up stories. And all of a sudden, they run across him and took their breath, and they're like, Nah, it can't be him.
0: It but, looks like Mr. Berger.
1: Yeah. The name's not right, so it can't be him. And they're trying to talk themselves into going, well, you know, everybody has a double. You know, mm-hmm. it's got to be that. But
0: but they went back to their camp and talked to their director, yeah. the dean of the the art camp. Right. And
1: um, told him what they saw. Yeah.
0: And he reported it. Yeah. Well, he
1: kind of blowed it off, too, at first. He's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, so, but then the next day, or either that or on the way home that day, he stopped in to see him for himself. Yeah. And then he basically tried to do the same thing, saying, well, you know, it kind of looks like him. But he did call the next morning. He did
0: call the FBI. Yeah, he did. Now, on August 11th of 1971, the FBI arrived at the camp in George Mills, New Hampshire. And they arrest Rodney with the help of fingerprint evidence. And Rodney was extradited back to Los Angeles, California.
1: Yeah, when uh, when he called the FBI, they told him, you know, just act normal, don't say anything mm-hmm. until people get there. Tell those two girls do not say anything to anybody. And then that next morning, uh, several cars full of agents rolled in, and they went to the to the cabin where he was staying and took him out and in handcuffs, put him in the car. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they matched his uh, fingerprints to his military record. Yep. Yeah. So they knew that Mr. Berger was. Mr. Mr. Rodney.
0: Let's see, they extradited him back to California for the uh, what he had done to Tally Shapiro. Right.
1: Yeah, because Steve, uh, Steve Hodel, who was the detective on Tally Shapiro case, he had really fought to have him put on the the, um, the FBI's uh, top ten most wanted, and it really paid off. So they had called him to tell him that they had him in custody. So
0: he Otherwise, could, he probably never would have been caught.
1: Right. So he flew to Boston and then jumped in a car and drove two hours to New Hampshire
0: to mm-hmm. pick him up. Now, when they extradited him back to California, now, by this time, uh, Tally's parents, they had relocated their entire family to Mexico. Yep. And they refused to allow her to testify in Rodney's trial.
1: Yeah, they said they couldn't bear to stay where where it was so close to where all that happened. And her dad was in the music industry, uh, industry and uh, he gave up his job and everything, and they moved to uh,
0: Mexico. Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta. Mexico. Yep. Yeah. We learned that. Was on, that was on Love boat. That was on Love boat. Yep.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they moved down there, and then, then uh, they decided uh, when they called him, they refused to. He didn't want to put their, their daughter through that stuff. Yep. And so they decided just not to come back at all.
0: But now, since they were unable to convict Rodney of rape and attempted murder without the primary witness of Tally Shapiro, the prosecutors were forced to permit Alcala Plead guilty to a lesser charge of assault.
1: And child molestation. Yeah. Which is bullshit. It is. I don't understand. Sorry about that, but I don't see how, I mean, the cops came in. The cops basically seen it happen. They know he was there. Saw him through the window. Mm-hmm. Seeing what was going on, the, the fellow that was in the car followed him all the way there. They got him dead to rights.
0: The bar on her neck.
1: Yeah, everything. The fender had fingerprints on it. Oh, yeah. So I don't understand. I don't understand his ruling at all.
0: But yeah, she wasn't able to testify, being out of the country. Right. So you know, they got him on what they could get him on. Yeah,
1: they uh, gave him from one to ninety nine years, and all that depended on how.
0: One to ninety nine years.
1: Yeah, and that that depended on how. and uh, that was, that all depended on his his mental capacity or whatever is, of being uh, rehabilitated, and that would be determined by. A psychiatrist out soon yeah probably the state prison psychiatrist mm-hmm. or someone someone to that nature but uh yeah so after he only served 34 months and then they let him out
0: yeah under this indeterminate sentencing program
1: which is I guess they just really had a lot of hope for uh, re- rehabilitation offenders. But
0: now yeah. this just this allows parole boards to release offenders as soon as like I said as soon as they demonstrate an evidence of rehabilitation, right? So
1: smooth talking. I'm fixed. Yeah, I'm cured. I'm good to go, dog. Basically, as smooth talking I'm sure if he can talk people into doing, he can he can work the, the shrinks just as well.
0: Yep. Just uh that same month that he was released, he was hired as a photographer for a company to take photos in stores throughout Los Angeles. So he, you know he got a job. Yep. And that was in uh, August. Yeah, August of '74. Yeah, less than two months after his release. He was rearrested for assaulting a 13-year-old girl and identified you know, in court records as Julie J. That's all they, they know her by. Right. Who accepted what she thought would be a ride to school. And, and
1: He kidnapped her and took her and forced her to smoke marijuana. Yeah. And then, luckily, a park ranger smelled the marijuana and decided, decided to investigate. Mm-hmm. And then he came up. And so he had a thirteen year old girl and he had drugs, so both of these were probation
0: violations yep, and he was charged with selling marijuana, kidnapping, and violating parole, and was taken to jail for trial, yep waiting his you know for trial and he was convicted of violating parole and providing drugs to a minor and sent to prison. He was sentenced i think for two years yeah,
1: so they give he had one to ninety nine for almost killing that girl mm hmm And then they let him out in 34 months, and then he goes right back and does the same thing, and they just give him two years. Yep. What the heck are they thinking, man? I know. This California correction system is just eat up. Mm hmm And then, you know, he he got released on probation or on uh, parole after being reformed once again. Then he went to his parole officer and requested uh, to let him go back to uh, New York to visit his relatives. Yeah. And it was granted.
0: (laughs) How dumb is that?
1: Oh Lord, I don't know, I mean, it's just it's crazy.
0: Mhm. Now, that same summer of nineteen seventy seven, a female by the name of Ellen Jane Hover, she was twenty three, is considered missing after being seen with a photographer named John Berger in New York City. And the way they found out was she had it in her calendar yeah. notebook that she had a, a dinner date with this Berger to Talk about photos. Right. Do some and, photography work. And she had a pretty pretty famous dad, right? Yeah, he owned a nightclub, nightclub restaurant there in New York. It's called Ciro's. Yeah, she came from a well known family that owns Ciro's. Was, like I said, it was a restaurant, bar, club there in New York City. It was on. And Dale, she was also the goddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Right. It's, it's a pretty big deal then. Yeah, pretty big deal. Right back yeah Alcala returned to Los Angeles from New York and was hired as a typesetter at the Los Angeles Times
1: <laughs> so I'm sorry, there's zero back check they're uh, not zero. checking anybody nobody nobody's doing any background checking that's for sure Mm-mm.
0: now just a couple months later on November the 10th of 77 the body of Jill Barkham she was an 18 year old white female and she was found in Hollywood Hills area of West Los Angeles California and she'd been sexually assaulted, bludgeoned, and strangled with a pair of blue jeans. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the one they said that uh, actually she had had three ligatures. Yeah.
1: Like it was a, a rope and a belt, you know, and a pair of pants finally. But his thing, you know, Donnie, his thing was he liked to choke them out until they almost died, and then he would bring them back.
0: That's what it That's what got him off.
1: Yeah. And then he would do it again, mm-hmm. again until they didn't come back. Yeah. So he was pretty, pretty sadistic fellow.
0: That was his way of, I guess. I've heard it of keeping arousal.
1: Yeah, yeah. And showing his power, I guess. Mm-hmm. So he would, he would choke you out to the brink till you said, starting to see the light go out in their eyes, and then he would let it go. And if they came back, they came back. And then whenever they came back and or came to, he would just do it again.
0: Yeah. Damn. Now, this is the one where they questioned. Marlon Brando, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, this was in the same neighborhood that Marlon Brando lived. And they went to his door and questioned him about this to see if he had seen anything. Right, which he said he didn't. But nobody
1: ever there said they saw anything, but he was definitely up there where they lived.
0: Yep. Now, going back to this Ellen Hover, uh, that December of 77, after receiving a call from the FBI pertaining to the disappearance of Ellen Hover, And the man she was seen with, you know, his name was John Berger. That's who Rodney was going by. The LAPD determined that John Berger was an alias used by Rodney Alcala and brought him in for questioning.
1: You know, you'd think he would change it after he'd already been caught using that name in in New York, you know?
0: Yeah. But without a body or any evidence directly linking Rodney to Hover, he was released from custody. Right.
1: So, yeah. So, all they know is that she was last seen with him and they knew who he was. Yeah.
0: So. And they knew that was his alias. And didn't
1: you say Sammy Davis had actually hired?
0: Yes. You know? Sammy Davis Jr. hired a detective to find out what happened to Ellen Hoover. Now, just two days later, on December the 16th of 1977, the body of Georgia Wickstead, now she was a 27 year old white female and she was found in her apartment in malibu california after she didn't pick up a co-worker like she normally did and she had been sexually assaulted and strangled same memo yep same thing
1: now when uh he was working for the la times and uh this is the same time as the hillside stranglers
0: yep same time yeah. it was going on
1: and uh, the Hillside Strangler, they had a task force built up trying to solve his case. I think it was over 30-something people they had. Anyway, they found out that he was a sex offender, so he was actually questioned about the Hillside Stranglers. Um, and they went to his mother's house and uh, checked him out. But they found out he, he didn't have nothing to do that. But they did find he had some marijuana on him, so he got in trouble again. Mm-hmm. So they, they're looking at him, but they just still haven't put it together.
0: Yeah, he's on their radar, but, yeah, he's out there still committing... Murder.
1: Yeah, I think he just got some kind of small, either fine or just a county jail time for the, the marijuana. So these a real slap on the wrist. Sorry, Rodney. hmm Now, on June the 24th of
0: 1978, the body of an unidentified white female that they just labeled Jane Doe was found in the laundry room of the Illinois Court Apartment Complex in El Segunda, California. El Segunda. Mm-hmm. Just a few days later... Uh, a homicide police officer named Richard Place uh, for Santa Monica received a call reporting a missing woman, and her name was Charlotte Lamb. So this was the the woman in the That was the lady in the other room. Yeah. Now we're going back to Ellen Hoover. Okay. The one from New York. This same month of in June of seventy eight, the remains of Helen Ellen Hoover were found in in North Terrytown in Westchester, New York.
1: Yeah, I think somebody had told uh, one of the detectives that um, they knew where this Berger guy to, like to take people to take photos because mm-hmm. she had actually been. I guess she was a lucky one. Yeah. And uh, said this fella had went out there almost two dozen times looking, the detective. And the most time, he would find stuff. It would be trash or whatever. But something kept telling him to go back. And then one day he went and he saw something and it happened to be a leg bone. Mm-hmm. So that's how he, he was really determined to find her. And he did.
0: Yep. And just a few months later, you know, we're talking about the Jane Doe that was from California, from the laundry room. That was Charlotte Lamb, like we said, and she was identified Mm. in September of 78. So just a few months later, she was identified. All right, Dale. We're now going to get into why Rodney is called the dating game killer. Yep. On... September the thirteenth of nineteen seventy eight. Rodney appeared on the dating game show. Crazy. Yeah. You yeah. remember that show?
1: Oh yeah. Used to watch it all the time. Oh yeah. That and the new Louis game. Yeah. I mean they would
0: <laughs> it would be either, I guess it was the Bachelor or Bachelorette of the day. Yeah. you'd have three bachelors or three bachelorettes and you'd have one person. Right. Yeah. Con- you know, question them, try to pick out who they wanted to, right. to, to go on a date
1: with. So it would be like three people sitting on stools with a wall between them and the person asking the questions. Yeah. So they couldn't see them. They could just ask them questions. And most of them were loaded little sexual in windows and just being funny most of them.
0: So by this time, Rodney was a 10-year seasoned serial killer.
1: And he was stacking them up already.
0: And he was on a dating game show, The Dating Game. On TV? Yeah, national television.
1: Good old
0: Use, using his real name, Rodney Alcala. Yeah, that just blows my mind. Yeah, So. No background check. No background. No background check. check. We've got uh, an audio clip. We're going to play for that right now.
2: Thank you, and welcome to The Dating Game, and we'll get right underway. It's time to meet our first three eligible bachelors for game number one, and here they are. Good luck, gentlemen. Well, let's see. Bachelor number one is a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. Between takes, he might find him skydiving or motorcycling. Please welcome Rodney Alcala. Rod, welcome. And it's time to meet our young lady for game number one. And here she is. Here is a young lady with a wealth of experience. She once earned a living massaging feet. But she quit when her boss suggested that she work her way up. Then she taught school in Phoenix, Arizona. And now she's here to educate our three bachelors in the art of amour. Welcome, if you will, sensational Cheryl Bradshaw. Hello, Cheryl. Mm, don't sit down yet, just a minute. Want to make sure everything is straight. You relaxed? You feel okay? All right, you know there are three bachelors over there. There'll be one, two, and three. Ask them anything you like to find out more about them, except their name, age, occupation, or income, okay? And we're going to start by having them say hello to you and see how they sound. Number one, would you say hello to Cheryl, please? We're going to have a great time together, Cheryl. Okay, and here we go. Bachelor number one. Yes. What's your best time? The best time is at night, nighttime. Why do you say that? Because that's the only time there is. The only time? What's wrong with uh, morning, afternoon? Well, they're okay, but nighttime's when it really gets good. Then mm. you're really ready. I'm a drama teacher. And I'm going to audition each of you for my private class. Bachelor number one. You're a dirty old man. Take it. Come on, over here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, honey, we ought to go out and boogie. (laughs) A bachelor number one. I am serving you for dinner, Oh! what are you called and what do you look like? I'm called the banana and I look really good. Uh, can you be a little more descriptive? Peel me. <laughs> later bachelor one, later. <laughs> welcome back to the dating game and Cheryl we have reached the moment of truth as we call it you've heard from the bachelors you got some great dramatic presentations some good answers but now i'm going to ask you a question will that date be bachelor number one bachelor number two or bachelor number three who gets the dates well i like bananas so i'll take one number one bachelor number one all right well there they go However, you did leave one remaining, and this is your date, and I want to tell you something about him. Cheryl? He's a skydiver, so he's got a lot of nerve, he's into motorcycling, he's also a fine photographer. Say hello to Rodney Alcala. Rodney, come on, say hello. Congratulations, Rod, you did it with the one answer. Well, as far as I can see, Cheryl and Rodney, it looks like the two of you may be involved in some sort of racket. So we're going to have you take to the court. Oh you'll receive tennis lessons from expert Naomi Besa of the famous Kirkwood Tennis Club that starts and you'll soon be acing everyone off the courts and to make sure you both look as professional as you'll become complete tennis outfits will be provided by Bill Darling's Tennis Shop it'll really make you look like part of the racket set then it's off the Magic Mountain one of America's greatest and most complete amusement parks with plenty of excitement to challenge any daring dater like the revolution that'll help you turn the town upside down and of course the world's greatest roller coaster, the Colossus. Magic Mountain, just a half an hour north of Hollywood, California. So have fun playing tennis. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you. Okay. You can go relax, meet each other, say hello, get acquainted, and they'll be back. And before we begin our next game, let's find out what runners-up will receive today from Johnny Jacobs.
0: This woman, who was a woman contestant, her name was Cheryl Bradshaw. Right.
1: right. Yeah, this he one. won the
0: game, by the way. He won it. <laughs> yeah. The banana.
1: The banana. Which she, I guess you'd know if you already saw the clip.
0: Because you know, she liked bananas. Yeah. And uh, they went backstage.
1: Yep, to get acquainted.
0: Yeah, and decide what they were going to do and everything. It, and she got a little creeped out by Rodney. She got a lot creeped out. <laughs> yeah, I was putting it mildly. She got a little creeped out
1: by him. <laughs> she went to producers and said, look, you tell this guy whatever you want to tell him. There's no way in hell I'm going out with him. Exactly. I'm not going anywhere with this guy. He just And she never did say exactly what he said to her. But her her spider sense was off the charts. Yeah. So she was smart. So she was a uh, she saved her own life there. I would say. Yeah. Her
0: words was she found him creepy. Yeah. And there was a criminal profiler named Pat Brown, and noted that Rodney killed at least three women after his dating game appearance. And he and they even speculated that this rejection might have been one of the factors set him off. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Probably. You know, and he name. was rejected. One of the guys that was uh, contested with him was on uh, Seinfeld, right? Really. Jeb Hill, right? And he said, even you know, the backstage, you know, he was he was real weird, and you know, he was, he was asking him if he had, if he was an actor, and he's like, yes, and really, you're an actor, and you're going to be on a game show, so ooh, you know, he's just giving him a hard time about it, and just really really weird, and and but when it was time to to turn on the charm, it's like he just flipped a switch and was a whole different person while he was on camera.
0: Mm-hmm. Just a few months later, in February of 1979, Rodney offered a ride to a 15-year-old white female. She was hitchhiking and persuaded her, asking to take pictures of her for the contest. Yeah, her name was uh, Monique Hoyt. And this was some of his M.O. He would say that he was a professional photographer. He was running a contest or... Yep. something long some little gimmick like that he always and needed a subject yeah and but run. he always
1: had a car full of uh, professional uh, uh, camera equipment and everything so it always looked legit
0: or promised him to, to be in a magazine right so you know he was he had a little gimmick going on and
1: said that uh, she was just looking for a ride and he pulled over and asked her where she was going and she said anywhere but here yeah. so she jumped in and then that's when he said do you think maybe we, should, we could go somewhere and I can take some pictures mm-hmm. so she's like I ain't got nothing else to do. Yeah. So they head up into. Uh, they drove a, a pretty good ways. I'm. Sh- I believe. I'm not sure how long it was. Cause it was a, I want to say two hours. But I don't think yeah, they drove up, up into the Hollywood hours? Hills. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I was thinking. But and then. Uh, so he drove her a pretty long way away, and then they got out and walked up through up through the woods a little bit. So it's just up here. So they took her out in the middle of the woods. You know she's flipping out by now. And then they start doing some photos, which mm-hmm. seems legit. So he brought his tripod out and everything and started taking some photos. And then he ended up talking to her and taking her clothes off and taking some more photos. Mm-hmm. And said after being there for a while, she kind of got bored of doing it and was like, well, what's going on? What are we going to do next? He goes, well, let's just take a few more. Let's take some silly ones. And she says, okay. So she went along with it. He said, just pull your shirt up over your head. She said, okay. So she pulls her shirt up over her head. And when she does, he smashed her in the head with a rock. Yep. Lights out. And then when she woke... She woke up, and she looked around and saw him there, and then he choked her out. Yeah. So everything went black again. Mm-hmm. So it was, and it, he had already done it the first time. When he hit her and hit her with a rock, he had choked her out. So she came back too, and then when she came back to the next time, it was almost dark, and she was scared to open her eyes, but then she opened her eyes and looked, and he was there. She heard him uh, making some noise, but she ended up, he was crying. Yeah. And uh, this is when she's like, "Well, her street smarts, I think, kicked in." This, is all this was she, she was a at. very smart kid. Yeah, and she goes, "Well, what's wrong, Rodney? What's wrong?" And uh, she started, She kind of flipped the tables on him. She goes, "Well, let's just don't don't tell anybody what I done." Because she's you know thinking like like she would be the one to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I uh, told him, you know, she'd had a good time and she really would like to go back to his place and stay if that would be okay. Yeah. And uh, he said okay, and then he untied her and they went down to the car. Mm-hmm. And that's when they headed back. And then when they stopped um, at a gas station, he just he said he needed to go and use the bathroom for her to stay in the car. And she said, okay, I'll just sit here. And as soon as the bathroom door shut, she bolted. She was gone. Yeah. So she smooth talked to smooth talker.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, she got him. Yeah, she saved herself. Yeah. Yeah, she was one of the very few. Very few that they got away. Yep. Yeah. And then she went
1: straight to, a, I think, to a hotel. And run in and started screaming. They were trying to figure out what's going on, and then they called the police
0: mm-hmm. and they went and picked him up. After being identified by this this little girl in a photo lineup, Rodney was arrested and admitted to choking and raping the you know raping her.
1: Yeah, said so at first he acted like he did he couldn't remember nothing that went on. Yeah, and then the more they talked to him, the more he <laughs> he remembered everything plus something. Like
0: and it was just a few months later, Rodney turned in his two weeks notice at the los angeles times right because he's fixing to have to go to trial yeah and they still had no idea about
1: any of this no they didn't know any of his convictions they didn't know he'd been in prison twice they didn't do he was getting ready to go to the court for this is a newspaper 15 year old girl
0: this is a newspaper do they not post uh, published articles about rodney alcala do you think yeah because <laughs> they they don't read their own newspaper <laughs> Was he burger there? No, this was in Los <laughs> Angeles. He was real. He was still Rodney Alcala. Oh shit! That's what blows my mind.
1: Yeah, and then uh, I think when he turned in his two weeks' notice, they all just wished him well, and because he said he was going uh, up north to start a a, a professional photography business, or he had yeah. a job doing a, doing it, and they wished him well, and they was going to miss him because he was a good employee and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, man, he really had him snowed.
0: Yeah. Now, Dale, on June fourteenth of nineteen seventy one. The body of Jill Parento. she was a 21-year-old white female, and her body was found in Burbank, California. Found in her apartment? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Jill Parento. her body was discovered on June the 14th of 1979, and she was Rodney's sixth victim. And she was murdered after Rodney broke into her Burbank apartment. He beat her and strangled her to death. And then he posed her body inside of her apartment propping her up with pillows yeah
1: that was another one of his things he got
0: to where he was propping them up yeah and he even said i've read a i heard an interview that the way he would prop them was he would uh, have them up on pillows and have their legs up behind their head or whenever they were discovered the first thing was they would see was a privates
1: Mm. and even uh he went as far as to uh, Take the lampshades off and do stuff to make sure the lighting was correct. Yeah, just because of his photographer I guess. But yeah, he was—he's was pretty sick guy.
0: Yeah, and he would burn his victims. He would uh, bite them, bite them, leave uh, teeth marks in their breast. Yep, and just pretty much mutilate them. Yeah, he's a pretty bad guy. It's a
1: lot worse than them dating game killer sounds.
0: Yeah. All right, Dale. This is part one. Of Rodney Alcala, we're going to end it here because part if, two, we're going to get into some deeper stuff.
1: Yeah, there's a pretty good bit more to go, and I don't, I don't want to try to squeeze it in. I no, I think it, it deserves to be.
0: Yeah, Rodney's a pretty sadistic guy.
1: Yeah, definitely. He's one of those that you don't really hear about, and I guess because at the same time, the Hillside Stranglers was going on, and so was a uh, son of Sam. So all this was going on at the same time. So Rodney kind of gets pushed to the to the back, even though. To me, he's way worse than David yeah. Berkowitz ever thought about being. Oh, yeah. He just went up and shoots somebody in the head in the car and run, wouldn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think uh, this guy here is is pretty notorious, and, and he don't really get the press that the rest do, as far as being a known as a serial killer.
0: That's right. All right, Dale. I want everybody to listen to part one here, finish it up, and then we'll we'll have part two next week. Yeah. And it's going to get even more deeper with some of Rodney's crazy stuff. Right. All right. We're going to get out of here. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings.
1: Because the next episode could be about you. This
0: is The the Crack Crack House House Chronicles. Chronicles.